good day. I hope your week has been going well for you. Uh, I'm so happy to be joining you again through uh, technology. Uh, as you can see, the recording studio has changed from the dining room to the garage. And so I hope it's not a distraction for you. Uh, I enjoy being in the garage and I'm comfortable out here, uh, but I apologize for the scenery. So today we are in lesson five of our study of Romans and we'll be in chapter six. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Romans chapter six and you can follow along with me. So in Paul's letter to the Romans, we start to see that God's concerned not only of our righteous status before him, you remember all the, the talk and the writing about grace, but also God's concerned about our behavior, how we live. In chapter six, Paul addresses that God has a plan for dealing with the power of sin in our lives. So open your Bibles. We're going to be in chapter six and you can follow along. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin, because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, 
you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right. So now let's let's get into it and look at the verses and, and kind of pick it apart so we can understand it. In verse 1 there, let's just start there. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? So Paul's opening verse in this chapter connects back to chapter 5, verse 20, where he says, The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So remember that uh, picture I gave you in our last lesson, the, the scales there, sin on one side, grace on the other. And that that even though no matter how much sin there was, grace was abounding so much that it was it was not only compensating, but overcompensating. No matter what the sin, the grace just abounded. There were people in the church at that time that actually reasoned that since grace increases when sin increases, then we can sin more to increase the impact of God's grace on our lives. And Paul emphatically says, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Paul introduces the concept that we have died to sin, meaning that since death is a separation of our relationship with sin, then we died to it. We are no longer tied to the life of sin. Since the Christian has died to sin, we cannot adopt a sinful way of life to enjoy the benefits of God's grace. Paul loves to talk about grace. It's one of his favorite topics. While grace is such a blessing and comfort to us, it can be abused. And that's what he's talking about here. People can presume upon God's grace in such a way that they take sin less seriously then they should. God's grace in such a way that they take sin less seriously uh, is found also in Jude. Jude warns us in Jude verse 4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long before, beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. Now that means recklessness, playing loose and fast with God's grace, and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So it is possible, just as back then, like Paul is talking about, but today, we can play loose and fast with the grace that God's give us. We can, sometimes, we will go into sin knowing it's wrong, but making that decision that well, God will forgive me. Okay, that's abusing that grace. We should never, never go there. But I know it does happen. And it probably happens for each of us at some point. We must be very careful to not let that attitude creep into our lives. 
So let's go to verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Two important things to consider going forward. Baptized into Christ and baptized into his death. What happens as a part of death? Well, verse 4 tells us. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Symbolism. The Bible is so full of symbolism. He's, he's using this as a way to help us understand baptism, as a way to help us understand our connection to Christ. Symbolism is such an integral, important part of the Bible itself. If you'll remember, uh, Jesus used symbolism in the form of parables, stories, uh, to teach and to help people understand. Uh, at that time, in that culture, the, the, the Jews and the Gentiles, they understood quite a bit in picture stories. And so Jesus uses those to help them understand. Now, in this also, it helps us being buried with him through baptism into death. Okay? So in baptism, that old life of sin that is now dead to us has been buried, just as Christ was buried. And then, just as Christ was raised after death, we are also raised and have a new life. Baptism is a symbol of death, burial, and resurrection. We repent of our sins, are buried in water, and raised back up out of that water as a new, resurrected person. And he explains this more in verses 5 and 6. And 7. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. So what he's saying there, he's explaining about the baptism and, and basically putting on Christ. When, when you hear somebody say that we have put on Christ in baptism, we are becoming like him. We are going we are burying our sins. We are coming up clean. We are putting on Christ to be like him in the likeness of his resurrection. All connection to those past sins are broken. They're not carried forward. If you've been, if you have, have obeyed God's word and, and been baptized, <clears throat> excuse me, been baptized then your old life is in the past. You're not carrying it with you. You're not carrying any part of it. Even though sometimes you may feel like the same person, you are a, a new person in Christ going forward without that burden. So let's go to verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him saying, if we have died with Christ, then we will live with Christ. You see, that's an if-then kind of statement. 
if we have died with Christ, then we will live with Christ. Verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. Jesus experienced death once and is beyond its influence. Having died and then been resurrected, he can never die again. And as a result, death has been conquered by Christ Jesus. In Acts, 2, in Acts chapter 2, verse 24, I'm getting a little too fast for myself here. Acts chapter 2, verse 24. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. This is an important point. Unless you can be sure that Christ conquered death once and for all, then our own confidence of victory over death through Christ is undermined, losing that foundation. If we are not sure on this, then our connection carries little significance. Paul is strongly emphasizing that Christ, having been resurrected, is alive forever. Revelations chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, and I'm sure you've seen this verse in, in a lot of uh, Tony's lessons lately. When I saw him, now this is John talking about his vision. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. He has conquered death. That's what we need to know. That's what we need to believe. Because quite honestly, if we do not believe that, then why are we pursuing a life with Christ if we think he is dead? People can go through rituals and, and things, but every now and then we need to kind of examine ourselves and, and make sure that we're on track in what we believe and why. Let's go to verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. This verse is just saying that Jesus constantly brings glory to God through his life. Everything that Jesus is doing is pointing to God, which is is similar to what Paul is doing. Everything that Paul is doing now is pointing to Jesus. He's telling the, the Roman church there, look to Jesus. We are imitating Jesus. And because of that, Jesus is giving all glory to God, his Father. Verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, consequently, this is how we should think and live. We need to think and live that we are dead to sin. We did not carry that, that sin forward with us. We are not carrying it on our shoulders. It is not burdening us anymore. Christ has wiped that away, that, that old life that's gone. Verse 12. 
Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. He's saying, do not continue to sin. Okay, now there's, there's how to live. Once you have been baptized, do not continue to sin. Paul goes on and says, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, members can be confusing. Okay, what members? Well, he's talking about our physical body, which is where so much sin manifests in sins of the flesh. Okay, so so many are, are sensual sins, sins of the the senses, sins of of the body, the desire. All right, so he's saying, do not present your your physical body um, as unrighteousness, but but to God as alive from the dead. 14, he goes on, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. These verses are a practical application of what he has said previously. Christians must become in our actions what we are in our new natures. In other words, your actions must reflect your new life as a believer of Christ. Will we sin? Yes, we will. Okay, we are not a perfect people. We have, there's temptation. We have weaknesses. We have sins of the flesh. But he's saying that in our actions, we must show that we are a new people, a new person. Verse 15, let's go on. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Now, if you remember, under grace, we, the believer, have liberty to live according to a higher principle, a principle rooted in the resurrection life of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we are supposed to be looking at all times. Paul says, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. So this immediately reminded me of a, a verse, and I'm sure you know it very well. Maybe you even thought about it uh, before I can say it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Now, that is exactly what Paul's talking about. You can be a slave to sin or a slave to God. All right? One results in death, one resulting in righteousness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, the translated word for wealth there meant an object of worship. Okay? Not just money, in it, but, but whatever you are focused on. So many times we get to focusing on things around us in our normal lives, whether it be money or house or job 
or or things, just material things, that that becomes almost an object of worship for us, that we will put so much time into that, that we will start abandoning our love for God. That Now, that happens very slowly many times. Just a little bit, well, I'm going to put the extra time here, or I've got to spend extra time at work, or, you know, I don't really feel like, like going to worship today or, or, or taking in class, or maybe I'm just too busy to read my Bible today. It starts very slowly, but it grows and grows. And that's the way the devil starts out very slowly. And he picks away at you. All right. So let's go to verse 17. But thanks be to God that through though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. You were slaves of sin, the old life, before baptism. After baptism, putting on Christ, you became obedient from the heart. Now, trans, that's translated as out from the hearts. Meaning not out of ritual, not out of a checklist, but inner obedience of the heart. Paul says, to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Meaning the teachings of who? Teachings of Jesus. That is exactly what Paul is teaching them. He's not teaching, you know, Paul says this and Paul writes this and, and Paul says you should. No, that's not what he's doing. He's pointing to Jesus all the time. He says, Jesus says, Jesus did this. Jesus wants you to do this. Okay? We are following Jesus, not Paul. All right, verse 18. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So in other words, we have exchanged sin for righteousness as a master. Okay, our old self, the slave to sin, has been exchanged now for righteousness with God. Paul says in 19, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members, yourself, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness, meaning sin, led to more sin. So now present your members, yourselves, as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. So what he's saying here is exchanging the old life of sin for the new life leading to sanctification. You cannot have a foot in both camps. It doesn't work like that. Remember in Matthew you have to choose which master you are going to serve. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God... You derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Paul is saying here, how much better is it to be enslaved to righteousness as compared to sin, which brings shameful memories 
and ultimately spiritual eternal death. Verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this last verse brings it home very clearly. Which will you choose, death or eternal life? Forever separation from God or eternity with him as our father? Let's close out this lesson looking at Titus chapter 3 verses 5 through 7. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God loves us and made a plan for us to be with him. Why do so many souls give up on that plan? You know, each and every soul, each and every person is precious to God. And he wants every soul back in his kingdom. He doesn't want to lose a single one. But the devil is working so hard here among us to chip away to get us to follow that master of sin and not look to God. He's made a plan for that soul to be back with him in eternal life. Sometimes sin overcomes us in temptation and we latch on to it not knowing, sometimes not knowing better. So many out there don't know God and the benefits that he brings us. And it's up to us to be that example to them, to teach them, to reach out to them, to love them. Yes, they may be different than us in every way, but that doesn't matter. That soul has no, no color. It has no, no status. It has no money classification. It has no race. It is a soul. And that is what God is looking for. So I hope that as you look around the world, those that you you mingle with, that you work with, that you're with at home, your friends, sometimes look at them and look at them as a soul, not as the physical manifestation, but as the spiritual soul that each and every one of us are. That closes out lesson five. Next week, lesson six will be chapter seven. I hope you'll read ahead. I also hope that you'll reread what we've gone through. Think about what we've said. If you have any questions or anything, don't hesitate to, to contact me. Let me know. Um, I've had some, some excellent comments um, sometimes even, even taking what I've explained and explaining it in a different way. And I really appreciate that. Um, thank you so much for joining with me. I love you very much. I look forward to being with you again. 
Take care. Have a good week.